wow, unbelievable, right? I mean, here in Elizabethan, uh, uh, just just to give you some context, uh, it was seven years ago when Nicole and I were living in Elizabethan at the time, and we had this call to plant a church, to start a church. And we spent many months uh, really believing the Lord was going to plant a church here in Elizabethton. Um, that ended up not being the case. Uh, we ended up in Johnson City. Uh, the elders affirmed that. and um, But we still just had this inkling in our heart and just a love for Elizabethton, Carter County, of course, Appalachia and the Tri-Cities. And so to be back here uh, and so many years, we just shouldn't underappreciate the movement of God. The fact that he would take sinful men and women like us to want to do something for culture and for the world and for us to be salt and light to the world. And so I just could not be more excited about being here. Um, I'm so grateful for um, Sam and Rachel's leadership. Uh, we seriously would not be here uh, without those guys. And so just an just a amazing day, amazing morning, and I just cannot wait uh, to do, uh, just uh, see what the Lord has to do uh, or has to do in Elizabethan on, uh, on, on behalf of the gospel. It's important that we open up our Bibles. It's important that we sing songs to Jesus, and then we also see and hear what Jesus has to say for us. And so that's what we're going to do. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. If you don't have your scriptures, no problem. We have printed it there on your worship guide because we want you to follow along with the scriptures, right? And we also have given you some some space on the bottom of that worship guide so that you can circle words, underline words, you know, draw arrows, make notes if you don't want to do that in your scriptures. And so that, that'll be good. Jesus Christ was the greatest storyteller ever told or ever, ever uh, to tell a story. Um, he just, he loved to tell, tell stories. And um, we hear photo, old ad. Um, so what he would do is he would use those thousand words to actually tell and to paint these pictures at large. What we see in uh, John chapter 15 is one of those pictures where he took a very commonplace picture, a very commonplace item, and described very complex theological issues. That's what we need. We need simple pictures to understand very deep things. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to say, we're going to just talk very simply about this one phrase, is that what, it, what does it look like uh, to see pruning, right, which is a very simple understanding if you're gardening and those kinds of things. What does it look like to see that pruning is absolutely essential for our walk with the Lord? That's what we're going to be talking about. This simple term, this gardening term, this orchard term, the fact that we're, you know, pruning is actually an absolutely essential part of our Christian walk. All right, so this is John chapter 15. Um, I'm going to read the full context here, even though we're only going to teach through chapter, or verses 1 through 3. So John 15, 1 and following. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides or holds on to or grasp or is grown into the vine, neither can you unless you same word, abide in me, cling to, abide, to hold fast to. Verse 5, verse 5, I am the vine, 
and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered you and ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My great-grandfather's name was Mr. Hubie. That's right. We called our great-grandfather Mr. Hubie. His son, my grandfather, called his own father Mr. Hubie. My father, his grandson, called his grandfather Mr. Hubie. The men around town called this guy Mr. Hubie. The little people around church called my great-grandfather Mr. Hubie. At the age of nine years old, um, Mr. Hubie moved in with my dad. My dad grew up in a pretty academic household. In the 40s, um, his parents had master's degrees, which was the superintendent of schools. And so my dad was used to mathematics charts and memorization things and textbooks. Well, Mr. Hubie had a very different way of learning. He was much more hands-on. He was much more tactile. Mr. Hubie moves into uh, the house and he teaches different things, like how to sharpen your knife or how to keep a handkerchief in your back pocket, or even how to spot a good mare at auction. These types of things were going on in my, in my father's world. He has now books, and now he has Mr. Hubie teaching him the real world things. My great-grandfather, Mr. Hubie, just insisted on a garden. He loved to garden. And so he would pull his grandson into the garden with him and would teach him all types of things. Fast forward a couple of decades later, my father has me in Carroll County, Georgia, in a garden plot, and he was giving away Hubie-isms. These things that Mr. Hubie taught his dad, he was now teaching me. Things like, this is how you stake a tomato, or this is why you run the beans on the outside of a garden, or this is why you plant marigolds. One, it, was hel- it helps with attract bees and then distract from other things. I mean, I don't know all the rules, but the one thing I do remember to this day was the lesson that Mr. Hubie taught my dad, and my dad taught me about the sucker, right? Every tomato plant, so says Mr. Hubie, has a sucker, And this is a a piece of the plant that looks like a a tomato plant. It looks like a branch. It acts like a branch, but it really is not. It's actually a sucker. And what suckers do is exactly what the name implies. Suckers, middle schoolers are in here, but they take away nutrients right, from the main uh, branch or from the main trunk. And the little known fact is very few suckers actually ever bear fruit. 
And so if you're in your garden and you look at your tomato plants, you need to scour these things to find the suckers, to break them off and discard them because they're distracting or they're pulling key nutrients away from your tomato plants. And so that's why today's main idea has to do with suckers or planting or gardenings or having Jesus use very, very plain imageries to teach us that pruning or taking away or finding the suckers is an essential part of our understanding what it means to walk with God over and over and over again. What we have in John chapter 15 is Jesus's kind of final talk. These are called the Messiah talks um, when you read. And what Jesus is doing is, and catch this, Elizabethan, what Jesus is teaching them in these last chapters that start in chapter 12 and end all the way in 17, these are the Messiah talks. What, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that of, the, of independence. Jesus knows that he is about to leave and he's teaching them. He's coaching them what it means or what it's like to be on your own. And he's going to come alongside in verse 12. And this is actually when Easter week begins. And then chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room and talking about the Lord's Supper. And then also Jesus' departure. Chapter 14, Jesus is teaching about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. How are you going to make it when I leave? And he starts to talk about the one that will come beside you and be your comforter and be your teacher. Verse, or chapter 15 is where we are today, is this idea of, of this redemptive nature of, of salvation and how it'll happen. Chapter 16 teaches on more of the Holy Spirit, and chapter 17 is this iconic high priestly prayer where we hear Jesus himself pray to God in, in, in fervent. But basically what you can see from 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, these final talks, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. What are you going to do or how are you going to act when I am gone, Jesus says. And chapter 15 is the key part of that. Jesus walks alongside and he says things like, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He's coming with very natural terms that you and I are very comfortable with. We're here in East Tennessee. We know gardens, right? I mean, that's what we do is we plow the ground and we put plants in the ground and we see things grow. That's what we do. And so we see in all of these chapters, Jesus using common language like soil and seed and crops and birds and wolves and, and yeast and mountains, vines, grapes, wine, harvest. Over and over and over, Jesus is using the natural world to get to our hearts to teach us something about himself. And so here we have this idea of a vine and a vine dresser, and how they interact with one another. Jesus is, is saying something. He's saying, I know that you are only thinking about potentially the, the cup of wine that we were just served at the Lord's Supper. I know this is what you're thinking about, that red material that filled the chalice, that, have, that has all you think accompanied with our youth parties and festivals, and those types of things. I know that when you think vine and vine dresser, you think was once a grape. 
And before it was once a grape, it also was attached to a vine. And before the vine was able to give any fruit whatsoever, it was tended by a vine dresser. And you have to understand all of this to understand, not just the chalice of wine, not the end product, but also the source. We have to cling to the very source. And so as we are thinking about independence and what it means, we need to realize that our source and what Carter County needs, what we need is what, what, God, what Jesus is about to teach us, that we are to cling to Jesus and Jesus only. What Carter County does not need is another church building. What we don't need is probably another church service. But what we need are men and women and children, high schoolers and college students, singles and adults, to cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's what Jesus is asking us to consider in this passage and asking us to consider this morning. What would it take for you to cling, to abide, to hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone? That is the challenge for us. He comes with this imagery because it's weighty. He comes with this idea of, of wine, or vines and vine dressers because all of his disciples and all of the people that have been reading the Old Testament would understand this language because throughout the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, Jesus, they were known as the vine or the vineyard. When Jesus starts talking about Vine, like, oh, and those types of things. Our people, Israel, oh, that's us. And he would be true because the Old Testament uses this language that Israel is the vine or, G or Israel is the vineyard. But here's where it gets interesting. Over and over in the Old Testament, when using this imagery of Israel being the vine or the vineyard, it's almost exclusively, minus two, almost exclusively negative. It's almost a condemnation because God is saying to them, I have planted you and you are either two things. One, you are bearing bad fruit or two, you are barren. So the Old Testament, even though it leans in on this imagery of vines and, and vineyards, it also has a negative connotation to it. That God would come and ask them to bear good fruit, to come and just to, to, to put forth a great yield out of obedience and fidelity to God and God alone. And Israel continued to walk away from the one true God. What Jesus is saying is what God's been saying from the very beginning. Cling to me. Hold on to me and great things will happen over and over and over. Jesus then messes with the disciples' ears. He's, he becomes unpredictable at this point. He says, I am the true vine. So the first thing that he does is not he just brings in old imagery, but he is redefining the old imagery. He's saying, I am the true vine. So I am the true Israel. I am going to embody all the things you have been hearing about this vine or this vineyard. It all belongs to me. There's now no longer just Israel that you need to contemplate, which is a socioeconomic, which is a heritage, which is a people group. It's now a person. And so in Elizabethan, let's not confuse Christianity or religion and Jesus. Jesus is saying 
I have come to replace all religion and I've come to replace all religion with myself. And that's why you are to cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. But then he takes it a step, a step farther. Not only does he say, I am the true vine, but he starts with the words, I am. This is another trigger word in Israel's history, this idea of I am. If you know your Bibles, if you know your Old Testament, you know that there was a man named Moses. Moses was um, a, a prince of Egypt. He, when he's killing a guy, gets, and he sees off into the distance a burning bush. And what is the burning bush doing? It's burning. And yet it's burning, but it's not burning up. So this is piques Moses' curiosity. So he walks, step, walks closer and closer to this bush. It's interesting because this burning bush is no longer, is not burning up, it's still ablaze, and then it starts to talk. The bush in the middle of the wilderness starts to talk, and it says, take off your feet, uh, take off your feet, that would be impossible, uh, take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground, take off your feet would be a very different interpretation, um, but take off your shoes, for this is holy ground, this bush would say. And he says, well, who is it that is talking to me? And here's the words, I am who I am. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, those two words, right? I am have so much weight because this is how God introduces himself in the wilderness. And then he goes on to say, well, how am I going to introduce you to my people? And God just says simply, all of Israel, I am self you. What saying this is doing is he's replaced, I am who Israel, out of the bush, you're looking at him. He says, cling to me, abide in me and my words, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus says it seven times. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the door of life. I am the true vine. Seven times he is saying to himself, I complete all analogies. I complete every story. This is what the Bible is centered on, is Jesus and Jesus alone. I am the vine. And my father is the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. And so the one who has been tending to you this whole time, the one who has been taking care of you the whole time, that's the Father God who is truly the one who is taking care of you intimately and completely. A few years ago, I found myself studying this passage and preaching this text. And I didn't know anything about wine or vines or grapes or yields or sugar content or anything like that. And so I did what normal people would do. I would call the experts and say, hey, can you teach me? I had two guys on the phone, two guys that uh, were, were like they had orchards, they had a vineyard, they were making their own wine. And I said, hey, I've got this story in the Bible that I would like for you to explain. What was interesting is both these guys, they weren't Christians, they weren't believers. They're like, why would a preacher need my expertise? I said, just trust me, I just need to come and just see it for myself. And so row after row after row, after conversation after conversation, we would just have these conversations of trying to figure out what is going on. It's interesting to me to watch these guys take such good care of their vineyards and then also to think about God as our father, as our vine dresser. Because I don't know about you, but I think about Adam 
being the first farmer. He's the one who was supposed to cultivate the earth, right? To make it multiply. He was the one who was who knew how to name animals and plant things and do that. Like that's what, as far as I go back, but it's not Adam who is our first farmer. God himself is saying, I'm the one who is able to step into all realms of life and explain everything to me. And so as I learned from these guys, I also learned about God. I learned about what it means for a father to actually take good care of his orchard and to be able to see. But the one thing that I learned that was so very apparent from these secular men was how hands-on they were. They treated these vines because that's what they needed a yield to come. That's how they made their money was to actually make a product out of these things, but the care that they took And so as I read this parable, as I read this story, I started to see how relational and how how just hands-on God was. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And so every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He's touching. He's taking away. And every branch that that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And so in all of these cases, you see the Father actually intimately and relationally coming alongside this vine and dealing with it appropriately. But did you notice the two actions? Draw your attention back to verse 2. There are two actions that the Father initiates to the branch. And do you know what those are? The first is he takes away, right? And the second action is, y'all can do it, it's English, he prunes, okay? He's taking away and he's pruning. In my mind, when you take away something and you cut it, it's negative. Or if you take or you prune something, you clip it off, it is negative. And so the first and the only question that I had for these guys as I read the passage to them, here's what the Bible says I just need you to explain. I need you to tell me. And I said to them, very point blank, is pruning and taking away, is it negative? And both of them scoffed. They're like, you're looking at it all wrong. Taking away and pruning is not positive or negative. These two actions are absolutely essential. For every vine has suckers, right? Every tomato plant has suckers or they have water spouts or tendrils and those things are taking away from the main branch and they have to then have to be taken away. The second thing is these these branch or these canes that are bearing all this fruit, they have to be pruned back. And so what you and I equate with negative, either, either taking away or pruning, God says it is absolutely essential that these things happen. Maybe, just maybe, there's a scar in your life. There's a pain in your life that seemed to be so harsh and so abrupt that that was your veer or your fork in the road with God himself. Because you said, there's no way that a loving God would ever allow me to go through something like that. And in that fork in the road, you dismissed God and God alone. Maybe, just maybe, It is the Father who is tenderly cutting things out of your life, substances, potentially cutting out bad 
relationships, in your own abuse. He's the one that was taken in your lives away from you. Or maybe, just maybe the opposite. Maybe there are things in your life that were going so very well. Look at all of this fruit. Look at all of this beautiful leaves and fruit. And, it, and the Lord actually pruned that away. So it just actually looks like nubs. And you've been bitter to, from the Lord or to the Lord from, from this day forward. Maybe, just maybe, it is the Father who is the vine dresser who is actually walking towards you, not away from you in these moments. And so to cut and take away, to cut and to prune, maybe it's not a bad or a good thing. Maybe it is absolutely essential. So the reason that you take away a water spout or a sucker, you take those away during the growing season. And the time that you prune would be after the growing season. But no matter when the time is, the Heavenly Father comes alongside and he takes away, and he prunes for our sake. The second lesson I learned is not that it's not just positive or negative. The second thing that I learned is um, what happens if you don't do these things? What happens if you do not prune? And that's where they were even more energetic about what, how essential their role was. You see, if, if, if I had... Let's just say that this is the main trunk of the vine, okay? And so, and then, so this is this is never moved. And then you have two main branches, so it goes this way. So this is the main branch, right? So you've got a trunk, a vine, and piece of that branch over and over and over again for year after year after year. You leave the trunk, right? And you leave the branch intact, but you come all the way back almost to home and you trim or you prune back there every single year. And so the question is, what if you just continue to let it grow? Isn't more better? And they just said, absolutely not. Because as the branch right grows, this new growth is the only thing that will drop fruit branch nor the trunk ever bears fruit their time is out it's only the new growth that bears fruit so if you do not trim or you don't prune your second year's growth would be way out there and guess where the fruit is going to drop out there why because the only fruit that bears is first year growth meaning all of that in the middle is now useless. It's just big leaves. And now you're farther away from both the branch and the trunk. You just continue to let it grow farther and farther away and actually a smaller. The, 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 the clumps themselves, right? The clusters actually become smaller or even worse, they look about the same, but the sugar content and the acid and the pH is so diminished that it's not worth making wine with. Either way, the farther away from the trunk and the branch, the worst product that you will get. And Jesus is saying, that's why you must abide in me. You see, the Father is glorified in fruit over and over and over. Every branch in me that does not, what? Bear fruit, he will take away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, um, he prunes so that he will bear, bear, what? More fruit. Over and over and over, John 15 has to do with fruit. The Father is glorified in our fruit and the way that we have the best, most just priceless 
uh, fruit imaginable is to cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. This is how it happens. The scriptures are so very beautiful in the way that they are written. You see, when it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's the word, A-R-I-O. And then every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. And that's the word, um, K-A-T-H-A-I-R-E-I. So you've got Ario and Kathari, right? But then if you go all the way to verse 3, and you say, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That word clean is actually a combination of both of those words. It's kath ario. And this is how we are cleaned, cleansed by the word. And so if we want to be cleansed by the word, we're going to have to be okay with the taking away and of the pruning of God. We're just going to have to see that this is an essential essential nature of, of what it means. This is not positive. It's not negative. It's absolutely essential. We should be thinking about fruit and pruning together. Not like they're opposites, but actually seeing them together. To begin to look in our life and to ask one another, when was the time that you and I brought forward so much fruit and good things And you might, just might, probably, definitely, could trace it back to a time of pruning in your life. Redstone, Johnson City is not Jesus. So the analogy breaks down. But what I've seen in this group, this core grading, because of walking, right? This this idea of strong this idea of journey, walking away, that maybe, just maybe, you have made be made to be step out in faith like you've never been before. That's because when God prunes us, when he cuts back, we oftentimes get more and more growth. I'm no mathematician, but in the scripture it tells us that substitution is actually multiplication. I don't know how that works, but the fact that you can take away something, you can, that much fruit much more fruit could actually happen. It happens when we're pruned and we're okay with it. And so as we pray and as we take of the Lord's Supper, I would have us all contemplate, when was the time that God had pr- has pruned us? When is it the time that he took something away or lopped off something that we would define as good? Maybe, just maybe, if you've been bitter, that is a, this is a day where we can really... Ask the Lord, Lord, turn my bitterness into a blessing. Help me to see that this is when you have called me to to bear much fruit. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you taught this, and you taught it well. And you tell us that the way that we grow and the way that we bear fruit is to cling to you and to trust you. And to cling to you and only you means that we have to trust the Father and what he does. And what the Father does uh, oftentimes looks damaging and looks hurtful. When in fact, this is the way unto true life, liberty, and freedom, salvation. 
Help us as we think through the painful things in our life to actually con- contemplate the fact that this potentially is not just our story. This is the gospel story. That the way that each of us came into a relationship with you is through the cutting off, the breaking of King Jesus himself. Our gain was Jesus's loss. And so as we walk into communion this morning, help us to not just think about our story, but to think about your story. And it's in your name we pray.